Good morning, everybody. It is 3.45 a.m. October 24th on Wednesday. Coming live from Private Stock Studios in Studio A. Got my intern Milo on the boards, and I wanted to welcome you to the second episode of EarSense. I am your host, The Ear God, where we are collaborating ideas to create greatness, bringing music lovers and music creators alike to one station, and welcome to the show. They only give you one shot, you might never get that turn again I just called my mom up, said you never gotta work again In that Benz I'm swerving in, rolling about to burn again Shopping up in Saks remember it was Burlington We ain't going back, we ain't going back Tell them congrats, what a kind, yes it we beyond that To be honest, I need a contest We in Onyx, a hundred bands in my armrest Got my alarm set Drewski! Drewski! Man, I am so glad Four did that sound bite. It was so random. It was so amazing. So to give you guys a little bit of backstory, I was in the studio a couple of days ago with a good friend of mine, Four. He's a recording artist as well as on a TV show on VH1 called Black Ink Crew Chicago. We were in the studio. He was doing a specific part in his verse, and he decided just to yell randomly, Drewski, as like an ad lib. Everybody in the room started cracking up, thought it was the funniest thing. And I had this bright idea of keeping that little part and making it a soundbite for my show. For I wanted to say thank you for blessing me with your greatness and with this soundbite, I'm going to cherish and use it forever as long as I have this show. Before we get into the different topics for today, which I am incredibly excited to share with you guys, I wanted to say thank you for everybody who tuned in to episode one of EarSense. It has been an incredible journey getting this together and finally being able to release it. For the first day, we had almost 40 plays. To some people, that may not seem like a lot. It seems like a very little amount. But to me, it's incredibly huge because, number one, the fact that I was able to get one person to listen was going to be enough for me. But the fact that almost 40 people tuned in and also many collaborators as well as friends of mine that listened to it sent me feedback on what they liked, what they enjoyed, and what I can keep improving on. And that was such a humbling experience because I've been working so long behind the scenes and now that I'm being in front of a camera, it has been a liberating experience to know that I am overcoming my anxiety of being in front of a camera to being in front of any recording device, period. I wanted to share with you people that it's okay to break out of your comfort zone to try something new and to just say, you know what, fuck it, do it like nobody's watching. To me, it's been an incredibly fun experience. I've been learning so much about learning how to create a podcast, creating a brand, and I want to just be 100% honest and share all of these different ideas, all of the different things that I am learning, making mistakes, as well as growing. And that is actually kind of what I wanted to talk about for our first topic which is breaking down the process. More specifically, I'm going to be talking about the process of making music, the process and how we have an idea that we turn into a concept as well as turning it into a final product. And how we do that is in four simple processes. The first one I'm going to be talking about is two combined into one. And the reason why is because one can't live without the other, especially in pop, in rap music, in country music as well as all other consumed music nowadays. And that is broken down into music production and writing. Music production, a producer gets an idea and they make a beat that is made with different instruments such as a bass, an 808, drums, musical elements like a piano, trumpets, brass, synthesizers. 
samples, all of these different things that create the overall bed in the background of the song. The other hand is where we have an artist that takes all of these different things and translate that into words, into lyrics, into what a movie would be for a script. Takes all of those ideas and we go into one central location to lay all of those ideas out before we even think of what is going to be the construct for the song. And that is where we get into the recording process. The recording process is similar to where a chef goes to a marketplace to buy his produce, his meats, everything that he is going to need to make his dish. Now, before he makes the dish, he has to figure out all the different pieces that he's going to need, the order as well as the ratio that everything is going to come in. In the recording process, you are simply recording all of these different ideas to ultimately create the bare-bones skeleton of your song. This is where you arrange your intros, your verses, your hooks, your bridges, every possible different idea that you could possibly have that may or may not work into your song, you add it into what we call a session. This is how we see the entire song in its entirety. The next step in the process is probably one of my favorites. I have been working for the past eight years to try to achieve this and I am still learning. People don't really get good at this process for 10 plus years of being in the music industry. And that is mixing. Mixing is the process where we take all of these different ingredients, all of these different ideas, and we execute them to what you hear on the radio, on a music streaming site, on a blog. It is the overall representation of the music and all the ideas that we input it in. These are the best things that make up that product. Mixing is taking all of these different instruments and we use physics, computer technology, different pieces of hardware where we create textures. We make everything start to balance and we use frequency manipulation as well as audio manipulation to be able to make things sit in a certain way that gives you a certain feeling. It brings on an emotion using different frequencies to set out to resonate with you to make you feel a certain way. The next process that I'm going to get into is sometimes misleading as well as misunderstood, and that is mastering. Mastering is the final detailing and the final process in which we prepare the song to deliver to the consumer or to deliver to a music streaming site for distribution is what we call it. Mastering is where we take the overall song, which is a stereo track, mixing you are breaking down every instrument, every vocal take, every idea. This is you're taking the entire song and you're doing slight bits of manipulation to create a little bit more movement, to create a little bit more punch. It's a, almost like it's almost like when the waiter gets the dish, he checks to see if the dish is correct to what the customer wanted. Polishing the plate, polishing the silverware, drizzling a little bit of garnish, and then handing it to the customer. That is how I have been relaying this process as well as showing other people who want to learn about recording, about music production, and as well as just avid music listeners who want to know a little bit more about how a song is created and not just a way where you can look on a video and you only see the very glossy things of what makes a song. There's a lot of situations where 
when stuff is being made, things don't work. You have to rewrite songs. You have to re-record certain ideas because the quality wasn't up to snuff. And even that, you ultimately have to deal with these different personalities and these different wants and needs of what the song is going to need. And this is before you even get to the aspect of the viewer's aspect. What What are you trying to convey to them? What story are you trying to tell or what setting do you want them to listen to this song? And that is super important how we market this music to make sure that you are listening to it in the way that it's intended to. That's how art becomes valuable. That's how art becomes timeless is never having any boundaries of where that song could be related to. But emotionally is so universal that so many people like and agree that it is something that can be listened to for very long periods of time in the future and never lose any value, never lose any spin play values, what we call it, which is how many times it can be replayed before you are sick of the song. That is something that I get super excited about. I always ask different creators, whether if it's filmmakers, other producers, engineers, artists, to share their process because everybody has some type of different way they do it, but it's always broken down into those four processes. It's similar to like a professional basketball player. There's certain fundamentals that you have to know how to master, which is shooting, guarding, dribbling, passing, and being able to make certain moves. When those basics are mastered, you can expand upon those to where you create subcategories, where you create other types of avenues that you can create as strengths or as well as develop on certain weaknesses. And that is one of the most beautiful things about collaborating is there is no right or wrong way to do something. The only thing that matters is does it connect with who you are trying to serve it to And is it done in an integral way that will last a lifetime that we can stand and be proud of what it is that we created? Talking about creation, I wanted to go a little bit more in depth behind the studio, the nitty gritty of what goes on into a studio session. And... The song I'm going to be talking about is An Effect by The Little People. That is on the last project they just released a couple of months ago called There's Something Wrong With This Picture. A little bit of background on The Little People. They are a Gary duo and they go by Asani Hart and Dre Baker. Two incredibly well-rounded lyricists as well as just overall creators. I have been fortunate enough to be working with them for almost the past four years. I started off as an engineer They started coming to the studio and they started recording different songs. And over time, we just decided to say that, you know what, there's a little bit more here that I think we can work with and let's build on that and see what happens. Four years later, I am now executive producing projects for them. I recorded the entire album as well as mixed and mastered. And I also produced two songs for the first time that have been released on something that is very heavily involved on my end. And the reason why I wanted to pick An Effect is because it was an interesting story on how the song came about. In December of 2017, I got a text from Asani Hart and Dre Baker saying that they wanted to create a five-song so EP of J. 
just ideas they wanted to record as quick as possible, piece together, and immediately put it out as like a New Year's project. Now, if you were listening to the last topic and I broke down the four different processes of making a record, times that by five and doing that in three days, it sounds damn near impossible and in most cases it is. But here's the beautiful thing of where you give yourself high expectations and it leads you to somewhere different but beyond what you could have imagined. Seven or so days, it might have even been less than that. Those many days turn into six months and how that even became a thing. On New Year's Eve, we were not finished recording and I finally just said, we can get this done in the next 24 hours, but you're going to be sacrificing quality in what we put out. So we talked and they realized that quality is going to be the driving force of this record that they did not want to sacrifice that. So we took the three to six days that we had and we dragged it out into six months, which was completely unintentional, but it became something that we became very proud of. We pushed ourselves to our ultimate limits and we made something that was completely beautiful and the best way to describe it is a beautiful mess. We tried all of these different creative ideas that they wanted to showcase as well as I had a lot of different styles of music I was listening to at the time that I wanted to incorporate and reference off of. So for an effect to break it down, my cousin High Volume had sent us a pack of samples for us to break down and see what we can use. We came across this sample that was a remix lyric rendition of You Make Me Wanna by Usher. We heard that and we knew we wanted to use it somewhere in the project, but we didn't know what. So I went to Dre's house and this is where we recorded the entire album in his apartment in his living room. I pulled up the sample, I put it up and laid it out on my keyboard and I chopped some different samples and I started proceeding to playing out the melody that you hear. He ended up falling asleep, so I said, you know what, I'm just gonna keep working on this. Asani couldn't make it to the, to the meeting, as well as a couple people that contributed on there couldn't make it either. So I start making the sample and start chopping it up and figuring out the direction that I wanted to go in. I played it in this very awkward timing that to me seemed very unorthodox, but yet it had this groove that I really couldn't ignore. Then I started adding some kicks, some snares, and I think a little bit of hi-hat, and that was it. I look over, Dre usually sleeps, but he somehow still pays attention very detailed of everything. I don't know how he does it. It's a pretty incredible experience to see him do this. He starts bobbing his head and he has this little like, 
he smelt something terrible face, but it was in a good way. And I just looked at him, I said, do you like this? And he said, yes, I love this. So I started experimenting with the different patterns. And ironically enough, usually when producers make beats, we spend a lot of time trying to find the right sounds. In this particular case, it was some of the first sounds that I found ended up staying on the entire record and never really anything got changed. So I made a rough, complete idea of what it is that I want the song to sound like. I pitched him the idea of this could be a new sonic sound to what Gary could possibly be. This is going to be a very introspective interlude. There's going to be no hook. Just pour your heart out of what life is to you right now. I sent it to Asani. I sent it to the other team members. I remember Asani saying, I wanted to kind of mess with the original sample and see what we can make out of that. We both kind of looked at each other and said, no, like you need to write to this. Like once we make this into a song, this is going to be incredible. It's going to be one of the best. And I already had told them that this was going to be the dead center of the album that was going to be able to shift it to a different direction. The next day, we all met up at the studio at Dre's house, which we call our studio. Our friend Alan had been there, and he's really good at playing keys, so he started playing different melodic elements, and I just let him do his thing. I was picking sounds for him, and in that process... Dre and Asani both were writing their verses. It's all cause of you though. It's my drop out of school flow. I'm recruited. Studio was my juco. You know the routine you see when Katie Shooty hit the shimmy still. And we were kind of constructing what the idea was going to be for the song. So we made a big loop of everything. Everything just seemed very repetitive. We kind of broke it down really quick and made an intro. We made a verse part. We made a second verse where the breakdowns were going to be. And then if you listen to the song at the very end, they wanted some type of outro that they wanted to incorporate. Asani had this poem kind of in reference between love and music written before we had made this song. And he said, you know what? I want, I want to utilize this somehow. And he was trying to figure out who could possibly be the voice to be able to create the dialogue. And I decided to put some headphones on. I took the idea and I just went ahead and read it, did it in a couple of tries. My first love, sad to say sometimes my only love. My first drug, you solved all my problems as I swept them under a rug. We kept it, we listened back to it and he said, I love it, let's keep it. So this was one of my first few times being on a project, let alone having my voice inputted on it without like rapping or anything. So that was... A really cool learning experience to be able to be in front of a microphone and be in part of an important project and it actually ended up working very nicely after the end of the session i took everything home so we recorded all of the parts everybody had everything finished that day and i took everything home and i decided to arrange and mix the entire song in one night i usually like to keep these things separate just because i get to focus on one particular thing and get to basically knock out my checklist of what it takes for me to finish a song. So around this time, I think it was New Year. It was before New Year's Eve, or I think it might have been. Yeah, it was New. It was New Year's Eve. I finished the song, 
The next day, we met back up at Dre's the day after New Year's Eve. We're all hanging out, having a few beers, having a good time, and I decided to say, hey, I want to present you the mix of An Effect. And how we actually got the name An Effect on their very first project, the first song we actually ever worked on together, The Little People and Myself, was a song called The Cause. And this song is very close in the same context of a lot of metaphors and different similes that have to do with their love for rap, their love for making music. So this is the an effect of four years down the road of what it's been like work, us working together and the dialogue now in the story. So that was something that I felt was a really cool addition to the project that expands on a story that's been happening for years. We all put it on the speakers and we listened to it for the first time. And when you make a song and you present it to somebody to let listen to for the first time, I always tend to create this pitch so that I can let them paint the picture of what they need to see. And we all just looked at each other as the song starts to play out. And we really couldn't believe that five people contributed to making this song in a matter of a couple of days. And it was some of the best work that we have ever done up until this point. I got really excited, so I sent the songs out to a couple of different people for them to listen to just to see the type of reaction we were going to get. The positive responses that we kept getting, we realized this was probably going to be a favorite on the album. And actually, when we, when we released it and when we did our album release party, it ended up being a fan favorite. I think it was because of the connection and just the organic way of how we pieced it together. It's It's very interesting when you break down a song of how different stories or different myths create a life of its own beyond the song. And that was kind of one of those moments for us where the story was just as, just as important as the song itself and what it could lead into and where that was going to go for future songs that we create together. And because of that one song, after we made this project, we went ahead and went on this production spree where we made about 13 songs in a matter of 10 sessions just between myself, Asani, and Dre Baker, all being in the same room, as well as my intern Milo was in a couple of different sessions and contributed to a couple of them. The overall chemistry, as well as building a workflow and building upon that process that we have been building for the past three, four years has really just magnified for us to play at such a higher level. And that is the beautiful thing is that nobody is telling us that we need to work this way or the fact that we don't we don't own to anybody's time that is some of the best music that i've been able to create is when there's we're pretending like there's nobody watching and we are in spring training just doing all the necessary gritty stuff that is so painstakingly frustrating annoying tedious and yet every single time when a piece of music is done or we accomplish something at the end of the day we realize how much better we're getting every single day and we're still at the very beginning stages of our career and just the thought process of where we could be five years with this consistency as well as sharing with others in this process is going to make things much more magnified.
I grew up in the 90s, 1991 to be exact, the same year the Bulls won the first of six NBA championships. I was born in the Northwest Indiana region. At one point, I lived on the same street that Michael Jackson was born. Just a few miles down the road on the south side of the main expressway, 8094. For people who live in this area will know, the 90s was an incredible time to grow up. Discovery Zone, Celebration Station were just some of the few places that kids would go to play. They were located by this mall we would go to. Before Macy's, it was Ellis Ayers. Before H&M was this amazing movie and memorabilia store called Suncoast. Toys R Us, KB Toys, service merchandise were the spots we would all get our toys. I had just about every Batman figurine and every VHS tape. Starter jackets, Jordan sneakers, Space Jam, Saved by the Bell, Batman the Animated Series, Jim Carrey's The Mask, Friday, Beavis and Butthead, Cartoon Network, Freakazoid, Disney Channel, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Goldberg from WCW, were some of the few things that fueled my 90s childhood. Growing up, my family was my biggest musical influence. When my mom would cook and clean around the house, she would have albums like What's the 411 by Mary J. Blige, Mariah Carey's famous Christmas album on the holidays, the self-titled Keith Sweat album, Alanis Morissette's album with Ironic, Enter the Drew by Drew Hill, all playing on CD. My brother and my aunt, which was my dad's sister, were the ones who introduced me to rap music. I remember seeing the Crossroads video for the first time on MTV. Both of my parents were at work. My mom would have my aunt, who was our next door neighbor at the time, babysit us. My cousins, my brother and I were watching MTV and we saw the video. The first albums I remember stealing from my brother were soundtracks. The Friday soundtrack, Space Jam soundtrack, and the Batman Forever soundtrack. I would listen to these until they would literally break and we had to buy another one. Tupac's Greatest Hits and Big Pun's Capital Punishment were a favorite for me at one time. I knew a lot of the lyrics to these songs. You would think, how does a kid less than 10 years old listen to rap music and watch movies like Friday? My mom used to tell me that I could listen and watch this stuff under two conditions. I never repeated or imitate what was said or else I would not be allowed to. So I listened. I remember during this road trip, my family drove in our white Ford Thunderbird from Gary, Indiana to El Paso, Texas. Steve Kerr hit that game-winning shot in the 97 season to win their fifth championship. Songs like Just the Two of Us by Will Smith, The Boy is Mine by Brandy and Monica, Super Dupa Fly by Missy Elliott, See You When You Get There by Coolio were some of the songs that came to mind. We even visited the Selena store. It was after Jennifer Lopez starred in the movie Selena, and I discovered Selena Cantania for the first time. The 2000s were crucial for me. In the year 2000, my brother's good friend from down the street showed us Napster. He's a musical genius, actually. He introduced me to Snoop Dogg, The Hot Boys, Beastie Boys, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, and... I was at his house when I watched Requiem for a Dream for the very first time. Insane. We had this white gateway computer. The introduction to the internet, Napster, 
Winamp, which is a music host site where you can play all of your music that you downloaded. A CD burner and mix CDs were my music essentials. From there, my song collection grew like the plague. I can't admit or deny that I pirated any music, but I will say that time led to the discovery of these record labels that housed some of my favorite artists of my elementary and middle school years. Cash Money Records with Hot Boys and Big Timers, Rap-A-Lot Records with UGK, Scarface, Ghetto Boys, Swisha House, which had Paul Wall, Mike Jones, Hypnotize Minds with 3-6 Mafia, Project Pat, and Lil White. Albums like Get Rich or Die Trying by 50 Cent, Country Grammar by Nelly, The Eminem Show by Eminem, The Blueprint by Jay-Z, It's Dark and Hell is Hot by DMX, Kanye West's College Dropout were some of the many favorites at my school. Once I got to high school, my music taste really changed. I had a list of different songs for different occasions. On my iPod video, I had a list that would be played at parties. I had a list of songs that I would take girls on dates. I played sports even, so I had to have a practice and a game day list. When I was upset or going through my teen angst, I had a bizarre secret list that I would sulk in sorrow. I started getting into everything because the internet allowed me to discover underground music that never became popular or legit songs would be leaked or there would be remixes. Shout out to DJ AM. When I decided to go to college, I wanted to learn about my favorite albums, study and research them from top to bottom, learn about the production process, where everything was recorded to everybody that was a part of the album, the stories that made up the process. My six albums I referenced were Reasonable Doubt by Jay-Z, Wu-Tang 36 Chambers by the Wu-Tang Clan, Nellyville by Nelly, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill by Lauryn Hill, Take Care by Drake, and The Chronic by Dr. Dre. I wanted to share this because it's interesting that you can be from all walks of life and from different decades. Somehow, we find a lot of common ground by the music we share. I'm going to make a playlist for Spotify with some of the music that I mentioned throughout the show. Give it a follow and let me know your musical journey. Send me an email at contact at eargod.com, contact at E-A-R-G-A-W-D, if you want to be extensive. If you want to be quick and instant, send me a screenshot and send to my Instagram at eargod, E-A-R-G-A-W-D, and I will share them in my episode three. Guys, it has been an incredible episode. I hope you guys enjoy it and stay tuned for episode three.